Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I met my ex-husband uh, through, let's see... My son's best friend happened to get himself into a scrape and was in the county jail. And he called me and said, you know, there's this guy in here, and I swear when he opens his mouth, your words come out. You really should talk to this guy. And that's how it all started. Over the last 15 years that I've known him, he has gone back to prison four times. Today we have a love story for you that's pretty unusual. It's a love story that involves court dates, metal detectors, and a whole lot of jigsaw puzzles. It's a love story that takes us on a boneyard visit, which is a term that has nothing to do with paleontology. Nope. Boneyard is prison slang for a conjugal visit. Now, we know what you're probably thinking. If you're an avid consumer of pop culture, like we are, you probably think you have a pretty good idea of what a conjugal visit is. You've heard conjugal visits joked about in office space and arrested development, and you saw last season of Orange is the New Black when Lorna Morello consummated her marriage with Vinny up against the vending machine. But all the pop culture portrayals of conjugal visits, well, they're just not very accurate. I'm Amy Angelowitz from Investigation Discovery. And I'm Will Johnson for What the Crime, where no crime podcast dares to go part of the Panoply Network. On today's show, we're setting the record straight on conjugal visits with lots of facts that will definitely surprise you. We're also talking lots more to Debbie, who you heard a minute ago at the top of the show. She knows conjugal visits just about as well as anyone because she's gone on many of them. She's going to give us the real deal about what happens behind closed doors. Actually, now is probably a good time to mention the content on today's show is a little too graphic for kids. But assuming you're an adult, please sit back, relax, and let your mind wander to a prison yard near you. And get ready to have your thinking flipped on conjugal visits. Part 1. Headlines versus Reality. 
Before we get to flipping your thinking, we have to admit, conjugal visits make for some pretty wild headlines. And we've covered uh, one of the weirdest on Crime Feed. In 2014, polygamous inmate Gregory Thomas challenged the state of Pennsylvania's ban on conjugal visits. Uh, He demanded that he be given conjugal visits with his multiple wives uh, and called it an issue of religious freedom. So religious freedom, what's that got to do with it, Amy? See, Gregory is Muslim, and he said that under Islamic law, his wives could plead for divorce if he refused them sex. And while a state court dismissed another of Gregory's complaints, he said that having female corrections officers was cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, They did allow him to continue with his religious rights challenge. So that kind of reminds me of Joe Giudice of the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Okay, I'll bite. In what way? Well, Amy, when his wife Teresa was serving a 15-month sentence for fraud, Joe appeared on Watch What Happens Live and revealed that the two had not had a conjugal visit. He called the situation, quote, torture. The torture will continue for these two, apparently, as Joe has recently reported to prison himself. So I think it's time to drop our first conjugal visit knowledge bomb. Boom. Conjugal visits, for all their notoriety, are actually quite rare. Federal prisons in the United States actually don't allow conjugal visits. Only a handful of state prison systems offer them, and to a small number of people. There are some big misconceptions about how widespread conjugal visits actually are. So we called Dr. Heather Ann Thompson, a professor at the University of Michigan who studies mass incarceration, to try to understand more. She says that while conjugal visit programs used to be more common, a lot have been shut down in recent years. About 20 years ago, we had about 17 states that offered family visit programs. Um, today, we only have about four programs left. In case you missed that, she said four, as in four out of 50. The only states that currently allow conjugal visits are California, Connecticut, New York, and Washington. And it's questionable whether Connecticut counts as it reportedly only offers conjugal visits at one prison with about 15 inmates participating. I'm going to move along to the second big thing you might not know. The term conjugal visit is actually pretty controversial. So conjugal visit refers specifically to a married couple getting time alone in prison. And while spouses are often the ones who request private or extended visits with inmates, other family members like uh, children, parents, and siblings are often parts of those visits, too. That's why the corrections department in these four states calls them family visit programs rather than conjugal visit programs. Here's Heather Ann Thompson again. The whole conjugal name is really, I think, a distraction or perhaps more of a misnomer considering what these policies and these programs are meant to do. When Americans think about conjugal visits, They immediately think about sex. They immediately think about this as some sort of a perk that somehow if you're incarcerated, you shouldn't have. But in fact, conjugal visits, the way that they are construed in the United States now, to the extent they still exist, are very much family visit programs. They are meant to uh, keep families together. They are particularly meant to keep parents connected to children. According to the New York Times, 48% of private visits in New York are conjugal, while the rest are family. And the Marshall Project notes that in Washington, only about one-third of extended visits are strictly conjugal. Keeping the surprise in facts rolling, it's worth noting that if we made this episode of What the Crime two years ago, we would have had an additional two states to add to our list of those that allow conjugal and family visits, New Mexico and Mississippi. But both ended their programs in 2014. She worries that the real reason these programs are under attack is because the word conjugal visit sets off those sex alarm bells in our minds. Do we have sex alarm bells? I don't know. We focus on the sex, and I don't want to minimize the sex. Of course, part of that's part of the human experience. 
but but in so many cases, the immediate reaction is often, why in the world should we be paying for someone who is in prison to have sex with their wife or their partner? I can kind of see both sides of this. Yeah, same here. On the one hand, I hate that we'd make decisions that affect people's lives based on our prudishness. But on the other hand, I get why this feels kind of distasteful. According to the Albuquerque Journal, New Mexico decided to cut its program shortly after it came to light that a prisoner who'd been convicted of murder in the 1980s had gotten married, divorced, and remarried while in prison and fathered four children along the way. That is pretty disturbing. Wow, impressive. Four kids. When did Uh, he even have the time? uh, Yeah, well, lots of time. Well, yeah. I agree that doesn't sit right, though. I, I have to point out that that was a very unusual case. It's still not completely clear how that guy qualified for conjugal visits. Experts stress that conjugal visits are reserved for people who did not commit violent crimes and who are close to parole. And the data really does show that these programs have a positive effect. Well, tell me more about that. Well, so a classic study of the family visit program in New York showed that inmates who participated in it had 67% lower recidivism rate than those who didn't. So, uh, in other words, prisoners in the program are less likely to go back to prison again. And I've got one more study to tell you about. This one was conducted at Florida International University and looked at sexual violence in prisons, also a, a big problem. Yeah. Well, so this study compared the incidence of sexual violence in prisons with and without family visit programs. They found that prisons that offer family visits have about a 75% lower rate of sexual violence. So even people who aren't in the program are benefiting. All of this data is why Heather Ann Thompson asks us to push beyond sensational headlines on this. I, I know that many people listening might say, well, look, these people have committed crimes and I really don't care whether they are connected to their children or connected to their partners. And in fact, I consider that a luxury. We have to really reassess that kind of knee-jerk view because, again, everybody that's in is going to come home. And the question is, how do we want them to come home? Do we want them to be isolated and bitter? Do we want them to be tethered and connected? That has everything to do with all of our well-being. And that leads right into our next surprising point. Family visit programs have a lengthy application process. Here's Heather again. What most Americans don't realize is that these programs are very selective. They're not available to lifers. They're not available to death row prisoners. They're not available to sex offenders. They're not available to anyone convicted of domestic violence. And those who want to participate... They have to undergo rigorous screenings, background checks, inspections, searches. Uh, This is including the family members coming in. And remember Debbie, who we heard from in the opening of the show? Yep, the one whose ex-husband is in jail. That's the one. So when she met her ex-husband in 2001, he was in jail awaiting trial. So he was actually found not guilty of that charge and returned back home. The two had this whirlwind romance and got married. Here's Debbie. I was aware of the fact that he had a criminal past. I was not, at the time, aware that he had an IV drug problem. He chose to keep that information to himself. As you might have guessed, it wasn't long before Debbie's husband got in trouble again. This time, he was convicted and sentenced to serve time in a California state prison. Debbie began the process of applying for a day visit, the kind you've probably seen on TV with lots of tables in a room and many visits happening simultaneously under guard supervision. That's about a 60-day process. Uh, They check to make sure the visitor doesn't have 
anything in their history, that they're not on parole or probation. Even traffic fines can, can preclude you from going to uh, onto the facility, being approved to visit. Once she got day visits, she could apply for overnight family visits. And that's another several months at least. There's a form asking about your legal history. Um, there, You have to provide them with a certified copy of your marriage license. Debbie was eventually approved. After all of this, what went through your mind when you finally found out that you were going to get to visit your ex? Um, I was relieved that it was over. I was relieved that the whole thing was done and we had a date and everything was good. And still, Debbie drove to the prison full of nerves. It's like, okay... What, what else can go wrong? They're going to come in and say we're in the wrong place or they changed their mind. After the break, we'll continue Debbie's story and tell you what actually goes on behind closed doors during a conjugal visit. Part two, Debbie's story continued. Debbie, who was telling us what it's like to actually go on a conjugal visit. So after the lengthy application process, she says that one of the hardest parts was just physically getting herself to the prison. Prisons are always, you know, you don't find them in town. So it's always a commute. Debbie drove for hours to get there. And arriving was a little bit eerie. You park in the in the visitor's parking lot and you go to the building that you're used to going to to check into to, for a regular visit. Only because it is not visiting hours, there's nobody else there. While there, Debbie's conjugal visits lasted for two days, and she had to be really careful about what she packed. She was given a specific number of clothing items she could bring in and specifications not to bring in anything that could go through a metal detector, like a shirt with grommets or a bra with underwire. She was also given a strict dress code for any time she was in public. They don't want spaghetti straps. They don't want low cleavage. They don't want tiny little shorts. You're not allowed to bring in anything for the inmate at all. Nothing. He is required to be in his prison uniform. Once inside the prison, Debbie had to go through a rigorous search. You pick up your suitcase. They go through everything. They check pockets. They check hems and seams. um, Pat everything down and make sure there's nothing that's in there that they don't know about. Sometimes family visit units are kind of like a hotel, minus the whole freedom and luxury part, uh, in that sheets, towels, and toiletries are provided. But for Debbie, she had to bring everything in her suitcase. Toiletries had to be put in small, clear containers, TSA style. And while some prisons provide condoms for conjugal visits, just in case, she had to bring her own, but only a certain number. If the inmate smuggles them back inside the facility, they become contraband. Inmates use them how to put this delicately, um, to hide other things that they don't want found, tobacco, drugs, whatever, and um, hide them in their bodies. Yeah, I, I so, thought you were going to say that, Debbie. <laughs> so, yeah, they refer to it as packing a suitcase. If you were to take in 50 condoms, they're not going to be able to keep track of them. Family visits typically take place in bare-bones apartments, cabins, or trailers that are located on prison grounds. Debbie describes the one she spent most of her time in this way. It is a concrete block duplex with a chain-link fence that separates the two units and then goes around like the, the, the width of the front of the building probably 20 feet long. There was a yard that they could go out in, but the gate was locked behind them. As for the interior decor of the unit? 
Inside, you there's generally a bedroom and a living room. There's a full bath. Uh, there's a galley kitchen along the side of the main living area. Um, like I said, in one place we had only a microwave, in another place we had a gas stove and, a, and an oven, uh, refrigerator, sinks for washing dishes. The rule, as it was explained to me, is that unless the staff believes there is an emergency happening right now, they are not allowed to open that door without my permission. I have not given up my right to privacy. If my husband is in the, in the room or in the, the unit after I leave, they will just open the door and walk in. They will not knock because he has no expectation of privacy. In some cases, a spouse brings food with them that gets searched. For Debbie, in one facility, she and her then-husband ordered food from a glorified vending machine. At another, they gave the prison staff a shopping list, and the items were picked up at a local grocery store for them. Another big issue, while inside, entertainment. Conjugal visits can last anywhere from six hours to three days. And for someone who isn't in prison, that is a long time to be stuck in the same place, especially without a computer or a cell phone. Here's how Debbie handled it. You know, I take in a a jigsaw puzzle every time. Mm -hmm. Um, You take a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle. Two days is, you know, we usually got it done in two days. I used to bring in a cribbage board and a deck of cards. Many units have a television set, but Debbie warns... The TV channels are debatable. Uh, generally, a facility will have a channel that plays the same two movies over and over for a week. They will have a prison channel that, like, has an upcoming menu and noti- notifications from the staff. Um, and then whatever the TV can pick up on rabbit ears, which, because the facilities are usually pretty far out of town, are u- is usually not very much. So I was excited to read that via the Marshall Project that uh, Washington State does let you bring DVDs on family visits, but uh, only ones that are rated G. Oh, I almost forgot to tell you about the searches. In California, inmates on family visits have to check in around the clock. Debbie remembers that well. Inmates have to appear every four hours, 24 hours a day, um, at the gate. The phone rings at whatever it is, midnight and four in the morning, and the inmate has to answer it. The visitor's not allowed to. He has to get completely dressed, go out the front door of the unit, out into the yard, and down to the gate where um, an officer, a staff member, will check and make sure that he's still there. Visitors get checked too, though less regularly. Once a day, generally in both facilities I was at at noon, I had to appear. I remember teasing one of the staff members when I got to know them. I said, oh, so if he kills me, you only need to know that, you know, 20, 24 hours from now. He goes, well, yeah, as long as he's still here. Okay, that's super reassuring. But all of this is really fascinating, Amy, and I have a lot of questions. My biggest, you know, we think of conjugal visits maybe as this sexy thing. I mean, have you ever tried Googling conjugal visit porn? No, I haven't. Well, it actually sounds, in reality tense and kind of scary. Did Debbie talk at all about what sex is really like on a conjugal visit? She was actually completely candid about it. The sex was always good with us. We, you know, that was never, you know, one of our problems. Um, It had been a long time. And and honestly, the first time I might have been vaguely aware that, you know, this is a weird place, but it was no different really than being in a strange hotel room. I didn't feel any more 
exposed. At the time that she was visiting her husband in prison, Debbie did have a teenage daughter from another relationship who was approved to go on family visits as well. But Debbie never brought her, uh, mainly because of the sex issue. I'm pretty sure she did not want to know what I was doing in there for two days. Um, it's really close quarters. At that point, she was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years. She does not want to be locked in a concrete block house while her mother has sex in the other room. But Debbie says that the time spent doing mundane things outweighs the time spent in bed. Generally, we kind of hung around in PJs. And more than anything, just seeing her ex felt incredible. At the time, um, we were very close. And so it was nice to have that time and that privacy that we could talk about anything. That was when I used to find out things that what actually happened. He would get in trouble, get arrested, whatever. Um, and he can't ever really tell me the truth because everything's being recorded. So if he hasn't told them the truth, he can't tell me the truth. But now I can actually say, okay, what actually happened? What did you do? What did you really do? I know what you pled to. I know what they say you did. What did what actually happened? In one facility where Debbie visited her ex, visits took place once a quarter. At the other, visits took place every five weeks. You know, just because fewer people at the facility qualified for the program. According to the Marshall Project, this range is pretty typical. Conjugal visits can be granted anywhere from monthly to once a year. And over time, Debbie grew to really love these visits. I looked forward to just being able to get... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I look forward to cooking and doing dishes and, and just hanging out and talking about, you know, nothing or everything or stupid, you know, irrelevant things. Just to get his mind off the prison yard and to remind him of what life outside was like. Prison inmates have a lot of time on their hands, so they tend to be very emotionally available, very emotionally attentive. And for a lot of women, as I think probably myself included, um, it was a combination of having that kind of emotional support and my kind of overbearing maternal instinct wanting to help this poor damaged human being that, that kept me interested and occupied. To her, conjugal visits became a special haven. I always looked forward to going um, even when our relationship was basically broken down in a marital standpoint, I still looked forward to spending time with him because I knew he couldn't screw anything up. He's already there. So what would Debbie's conjugal visits have looked like if she lived in another country? And how did this practice get started anyway? That and much more after the break. Part 3. The Strange History of the Conjugal Visit We've covered the pros and cons of family visits and taken a look at what a conjugal visit is really like. But to truly understand why this topic holds such a place in our popular imagination, I think we need to look at its history. So, Amy, I did some reading. And what did you find? Well, as it turns out, the history of conjugal visits is not pretty. In fact, well, it's shockingly racist. Now, I know we could spend a lot of time talking about how racism plays out in the criminal justice system, but I still think this would stand out as especially egregious. Now I'm just kind of not knowing what to expect. Well, so it's ironic that Mississippi recently ended its conjugal visit program because conjugal visits actually started there about 100 years ago at a place called Parchman Penitentiary. According to PriceEconomics.com, it was a few decades after the Civil War and the Jim Crow era was in full swing. Black men who committed crimes at this time, even lesser ones like gambling or stealing, were put to work on chain gangs, which the prison system then profited off of. Sort of pseudo-slavery, if you will. Yeah, so Parchman Penitentiary was built by convict labor and opened in 1904. The prison was essentially a 22,000-acre cotton plantation, and inmates had to work the fields. They worked six days a week, grueling labor, and the warden, James Parchman, had this really twisted theory that if inmates had the promise of sex in the near future, they would work harder and more reliably. Um, okay. Yeah, so Sunday was the only day when work at the penitentiary stopped. So on Sundays, the prison staff would let certain inmates have time with spouses to encourage them to work harder. And at the same time, the prison staff would pay prostitutes to visit the prison and have sex with inmates. Wait, hold the phone. What did you just say? Yeah, you heard me right. The wardens essentially trucked in sex workers to the prison, and they did this for decades. A prison guard at Parchman explained the practice to a researcher in these despicable words. Give them pork, some greens, some cornbread, and some poontang every now and then, and they would work for you. So how did this practice transform into the conjugal visits that we know today? Well, okay, so by the 1950s, the wardens at Parchman had stopped bussing in prostitutes. Instead, they built small cabins where inmates could spend time with wives and girlfriends. In 1960, Parchman Penitentiary was the only prison in the U.S. that did this, and somehow they managed to make it look progressive. The prison was even featured in a Cosmopolitan magazine article 
article in 1960. The writer called it the prison of the future. A superintendent told the magazine, families of convicts would fall apart if wives were not permitted the Sunday visit. Wait, do you mean Cosmo the women's magazine with the sex tips on the cover? That very one. And I think between the prostitutes and the coverage of conjugal visits there, it makes a little more sense why a lot of people connect the dots Uh, in their minds so quickly between conjugal visits and sex. It it does, but I'm still kind of not tracking how this went from something happening at one prison to something happening all over the country. Well, the 1970s happened. Ah, I see. So it was free love that made conjugal visits more widespread. Yeah, free love. And according to the New York Times, prisons built in the 1970s had private quarters for conjugal and family visits as a standard feature. Uh, I actually ran across a memoir called The Accidental Warden by a woman who became the warden of a California women's prison in the 1970s. She writes about redecorating the family visitation units, and she wrote, Instead of broken-down furniture and mattresses on the floor, we provided a pleasant, clean environment. Our distaste for this idea seems to have kicked in a lot more recently. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does. So I've been doing some research on what conjugal visits are like around the world, and a lot of other countries seem just much more, let's say, liberal on conjugal visits than we are. According to the Huffington Post, in Mexico's highest security prison, for example, 20% of the inmates get conjugal visits. That's where uh, El Chapo was held before his dramatic escape. And reports say that in the year and a half he was held, he had 46 conjugal visits. So that's that's really staggering, Amy. Uh, yeah, that that is breaking it down. That's a conjugal visit every nine days. Man, well, I hate to ask, uh, were they always with his wife? An astute question. Um, and you might guess that many of them were actually not with his wife. So I have one more story from Mexico. Um, In 2011, 19-year-old Maria Del Mar Arjona went on a conjugal visit and got caught. Actually, can I just read you what happened? It will be, okay. Please do. Okay. According to news.com.au, staff at the prison at Tetumal yesterday noticed a woman who seemed nervous and was pulling a black suitcase that looked bulky. Prison guards checked the bag and found inmate Juan Ramirez Terina curled up inside in the fetal position. Wow, a valiant attempt, I guess. Uh, I mean, were they not going to notice that a body was in that suitcase? Yeah, that's always a giveaway. (sighs) Anyway... In other news, I was also fascinated to read that when a reporter from the Washington Post visited a high-security prison in Saudi Arabia last year, he found there a 38-room conjugal visit wing. It had red carpeting, tea, and sweets on the nightstands. Inmates could stay there with their wives once a month, and the Saudi government actually pays for those families to go visit. Just because someone is a criminal, we do not punish his family too, the warden said. You know, nothing sets the mood like uh, red carpeting and tea and sweets on the nightstand. That's uh, that's interesting. Saudi Arabia, kind of shocking. This isn't to say that some of these other countries have a better criminal justice system than we do in the U.S. Their systems have profound problems, too. I'm, I'm just kind of telling you what I found to illustrate something that Heather Ann Thompson, our expert on mass incarceration, pointed out to me, that the United States is really an outlier in making conjugal visits a rarity. She puts it this way. Other countries have seen a broader social benefit to them. There are uh, some countries that might surprise people that do have them. Um, So countries more like ours, Canada, um, Germany, Denmark, uh, Spain, but also countries like Qatar or Turkey or Saudi Arabia, 
um, quite a few Latin American countries. And to give a few more specifics, uh, Good Magazine documented how 3,500 women line up at the famous Bella Vista prison in Colombia every Sunday to spend time with their husbands and boyfriends. According to Al Jazeera, in the Philippines, some prisoners are sentenced to live in penal colonies that their family can freely visit. A few family members even choose to go and live there. And The Atlantic shared how Scandinavia is known for its open prisons, where inmates can work and study in town and can leave and visit their families, with electronic monitoring, of course. So how did this pendulum swing so far in the U.S. that we went from building conjugal visit units as a standard thing to actually shutting down these programs entirely? And how did we end up with such a different mindset on conjugal visits than these other countries you're talking about? Maybe it's just that puritanical thinking again. I think in part. But Heather Ann Thompson sees something else kind of lurking here as well. We have to understand the the backlash against family visits and conjugal visits in terms of a much broader backlash that we've had towards uh, you know, people with problems, people that have suffered uh, everything from poverty to drug addiction to mental illness, we become a very, very punitive nation. And with that punitive ethos has come a shutting down of the idea that uh, prisoners are people, human beings that are serving time but will return to society. Wow, you know, I, I kind of agree with what she's saying. Me too. And there's more. You put that together with, I think, a broader kind of American puritanical streak, and you have a pretty toxic uh, cocktail in terms of the longevity of family visits or conjugal visits. We have been in the process of shutting down much contact that prisoners have with the outside world. So we've done that through restrictions on, for example, personal visits. We're moving towards video visitation. It's been really devastating for people on the inside. We're talking about more than 2 million Americans who have ended up incarcerated, a great many of whom have addiction problems. Kind of reminds me of Debbie's ex-husband. Eerily. Those people have been cut off from their children, their spouses, um, their loved ones. When we isolate people from their partners, and that would be sexually and also emotionally, we we directly and deliberately disconnect them from the world. We escalate antisocial behavior when we isolate people. So whether you get conjugal visits in prison or more likely don't, something often missing from the conversation is how do inmates cope with the loneliness? Crime Feed correspondent Barry Blitch talks about how some seek companionship on the outside. First and foremost, the fact that you're even on my page is a blessing in itself. I'm glad that the stars aligned in order to guide you in my direction. I'm honest, loyal beyond belief, open-minded, and I have a great personality. I played with freedom and lost, but I'm hoping to win for once by gaining your acquaintance. That was the profile of Juwan. And no, it's not a profile from OkCupid or Tinder. It's a profile from writeaprisoner.com, and it puts to shame anything you'd see in the online dating world. There are 10,000 profiles like this one on the site, 90% from incarcerated men and about 10% from incarcerated women. Yes, some of them write about mundane things like the weather and bands, but what I notice when I scan the site is a real willingness to share those things that are harder to talk about, like regrets, hopes, and dreams. 
Adam Lavelle started Write a Prisoner 16 years ago after he read some studies on how contact with people in the outside world positively affects inmates. You know, the power of a letter was a profound thing for somebody incarcerated. You know, they really hung on to every word. They were always very appreciative of, you know, you writing them. He recognized that something as simple as finding a pen pal could help inmates secure a job or a place to live after their release. But what do many prisoners really want from the site? You know, a lot of inmates... Uh, do come to us looking for love. And we tell them, your chances are not good. This desire for love comes from A, being human, and B, hearing stories of other prisoners who found love. It's a phenomenon that will resonate for any single person who's listened to a friend tell a story of a great date while secretly thinking, why not me? When you get an inmate uh, who finds you know, a, a romantic partner on the outside, it's usually covered in the news. And sometimes, like in the case of like a death row relationship, it can be covered like over and over and over. You know, it's just like nonstop. So the inmates are seeing this just like the public is seeing this. On Crime Feed, we've covered the serial killer groupie phenomenon a lot. There are women who throw themselves at the Menendez brothers, Scott Peterson, Jorn Vandersloot, who, by the way, had a prison wedding in 2014. Adam isn't sure what motivates this behavior besides a need for attention and notoriety. And writerprisoner.com actively turns down profiles from inmates like this. We have had numerous inmates of, of uh, you know, high notoriety try to run profiles on the site. You talk to any one of these inmates in for, you know, a, a crime of, you know, extreme notoriety, uh, they're typically not in any shortage for people to uh, talk to. You know, you have people writing them, looking up their addresses. It's very bizarre. Their profiles get nixed. But when they find romantic success in other ways, their stories have an effect. The inmates, like all human beings, go, hey, I want to be loved too. I want to be in a relationship too. I mean, everybody wants that. But alas, like the single girl too excitedly scanning the bar, being overly vocal about the quest for love simply doesn't work. So the inmates will sometimes write these profiles geared toward romance. We did some internal polling and we found that they reduced their chances of receiving mail by over 80% when they write a profile seeking love. So what that tells us is that most people are not coming to this website looking for love. But there is hope. The key to finding love through the Prison Pen Pal Network is the same as it is pretty much anywhere else. You just have to stop looking for it. What happens is some inmates, uh, you know, they, they place a normal profile Somebody writes them with, you know, no intention of falling in love. And I think that, it, you know, it, it, it just happened. We have seen a lot of romantic relationships. I don't think anybody's, uh, you know, set out to do it, but it happens. And uh, it can be a beautiful thing. We never tell people, you know, come here and look for love. Like we, we say, don't come here looking for love. In fact, if you're coming here looking for love, you know, you're at the wrong website. Um, but I, I think like with anything else, you know, you start working at a job and, you know, you see somebody in there that catches your eye and you start talking and, you know, next thing you know, you're going on a date. Next thing you know, you're, you know, two kids in a minivan. I mean, life happens. And Adam's favorite romance through the site? It's, uh, um, gosh, probably from about 2003, 2004, back when we were just getting started. And uh, they're still together today. And they live together and they have two children together. And, you know, it's remarkable. So don't do it for love. Do it because you miss writing a good old-fashioned letter. And because you have a real desire to hear someone else's experience. And who knows what'll happen. Would you ever consider having a prison pen pal, Will? I might. Listeners, would you? They might. Well, tell us. Go on to facebook.com slash crimefeed and let us know what you think about it. 
As you might have guessed from her use of the word ex-husband, Debbie is no longer married to the guy she used to go see on those conjugal visits. I had realized that our marriage wasn't working within the first four or five years. We were legally married for 11. Um, but because he was incarcerated so much, I saw no real reason to go through the paperwork for the divorce. Because as long as I was legally his wife, I, I had some pull in the Department of Corrections. Um, they would at least pretend to listen to me. And, and did you continue to have family visits after you were divorced or during the divorce process? Yes, I did. No one ever asked me if I was divorced. No one ever asked me, have you, do you, have, have you ever gotten a divorce from him? So I didn't tell them. Was your divorce a direct result, you think, of him being in prison? Um, our divorce was a direct result of his long-term drug addiction. While they're no longer in touch, Debbie knows that her ex is once again in prison. I was recently subpoenaed to appear in a court case, um, and so I did drop him a letter. In a way, he is my addiction. If I'm around him and I get involved in things I shouldn't get involved in. So I just need to stay away from him. Debbie said that she wanted to tell us about her experience and share her story in this episode for one simple reason. Well, I really think it's important that those of us who are on the fringes of the criminal justice system come forward. There's so many people out there who have a loved one, a family member um, that are afraid to say anything because they're afraid of what people will think about them or about their situation or about their choices. She's experienced moments when people don't understand how she married a drug addict or why she stayed with him once their only opportunity to see each other was on conjugal visits. It wasn't my crime, but people would, people judged. You know, are you going to leave him? Are you going to leave him this time? Now are you going to leave him? No, actually, I'm not. Well, you're just an idiot. Well, that may be. I think people judge without really imagining how difficult it would be to completely cut off a beloved family member. They say that that's what they would do, but could you really do that? And I met several other people at work who were in very similar situations to me that had never told a soul. There were people I would run across waiting to visit at the county jail that I knew and had never said a word. But there's a lot of people out there, mainly women, mothers and wives, who go this alone because they think they are alone, because they're ashamed of their life. They are not alone. If you look, every prison inmate in America, and there's millions of them, have people that love them. Everyone. Thanks so much to all of you out there for listening today. We hope we've maybe flipped your thinking on conjugal visits a little bit. If not, we hope that at least we've given you some thoughts to chew on or a good fact to share. Be well, and if you ever find yourself in the horrible position of having a loved one go to prison, may it be in California, New York, or Washington. Or maybe that one prison in Connecticut. Yes, or that one prison in Connecticut. Next week on What the Crime... What do Donald Popadick and Crystal Methany have in common? Join us to find out. In the meantime, check out lots of Crimetastic coverage at crimefeed.com. What the Crime is presented by Investigation Discovery, America's leading mystery and suspense network. It's researched and written by Kate Trogovnik-May. 
and hosted by me, Will Johnson, Amy Angelowitz, Emily Kaiser, and Barry Blitch. It's produced by Paul Giannis and Liz Massey, recorded and mixed by Joe Powers and edited, also by me, music by Louis Weeks and Anand Galat did the artwork. What the Crime is on iTunes. Find it there, download, and subscribe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.